Well, the former uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, once said, the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. But what does this look like? What does it mean? And how do we actually live as the church for the sake of others, not ourselves, for those who live outside of our communities? That's what this series that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks is all about. And if you're just joining us today, uh, a quick refresher, we've been making our way through a wonderfully alliterated set of Ps. Thank you, Alistair, for choosing my favorite letter to guide ourselves through the series. Uh, that, that, and and the, these are meant to help us know how to live for the sake of others outside the church, for uh, not our own good, but for others. So we've looked first at place. We cultivate places for people to explore faith. We talked especially about this place, but our community groups as well. Places of welcome and hospitality uh, and, and warmth. We talked about posture, carrying a posture of invitation and of storytelling, inviting others to come and see what God is up to, what Jesus is up to, and our own shared experience of him. Today we come to the third P. This P will help us answer the question, but how? How can we do this? How can we live not first for ourselves, but really for others? And find the courage and boldness to invite and share our stories and be the living presence of God in the city. How do we do that? Well, today we're talking about the P of power. We need power, real power, power from outside of ourselves, outside of our human positions, outside of our money or our relationships or our skills or our knowledge or anything that we can bring. On their own, none of these are going to help us really live for the sake of others. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to encounter God ourselves first and then to live that out for others in a way that others will encounter God through our lives. The Holy Spirit does lots of things in the life of Christians. So I just want to specify briefly that the Spirit, the Spirit does lots of things. The Spirit gives us new life. Yeah, the Spirit bears fruit in us. The Spirit works through us, through His gifts. The Spirit guides us. But today... Uh, to, to just narrow it down a little bit, that's a lot that we could talk about. We're just going to focus on the question, how does the Holy Spirit empower us to live for the sake of others? So to say it directly, how, uh, how does the Holy Spirit empower us? So our main idea is living for the sake of others is only possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. Living for the sake of others is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll ask three questions to get through this. What is the power of the Holy Spirit? What does that even mean? What does it look like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? And then how do you and I enter into this power? And we'll do this by entering into the world of the book of Acts, the book that records the experiences of the earliest Christians that lived, who were learning to live out their faith for the sake of others in their own time and place. So let's turn to the opening, opening of the book of Acts that Graham just read for us. Uh, now, if you don't know, Acts is the second part of a two-volume set, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, Luke wrote them both. His gospel is telling about Jesus' life and his ministry while he was on earth, all the way up through his resurrection. And then the book of Acts is all about Jesus' ongoing work in the world through the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit ignites in Acts chapter 2, the church. So join with me and let's read together. And, and as we do, be thinking about this question first. What is the power of the Holy Spirit? 
So we'll go to Acts 1, read verses 1 to 8. It'll be on the screen behind me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days after his resurrection, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Jesus is very clear. His followers will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. But what is it? What is the power? Well, in my younger years, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and there was lots of talk about the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled people to do all sorts of miraculous and amazing things. We talked about it all the time. But there was some confusion in my, in my young mind because at my house with my, brothers and, with my brother and my other friends, there was also a lot of talk of another invisible power that enabled ordinary people to do miraculous things. This power was called the Force. Now, if you're not a Star Wars fan, let me explain. The Force in the world of Star Wars is an, is an omnipresent power or an energy that binds all living things together. And those who are sensitive to the force, who are aware of it, can tap into it and do all sorts of crazy things for good or for evil. And as a kid, I had a thin membrane in my mind between the galaxies far, far away and my suburban existence in North Carolina. Uh, and there, there was a lot of overlap about, well, what is this force? And also, what is this Holy Spirit stuff that I learned about, about at church? They seem pretty similar. Maybe they're the same thing. And I thought maybe the Holy Spirit was my quick road to actually becoming a Jedi Knight myself. <laughs> I mean, this could be it. And I kid you not, as a kid, I would sometimes sit in my room and like try to move a chair from here to there. I, I know some of you did that too, so <laughs> don't even laugh. I'm not the only one. But there is a problem here. <laughs> there is because the power of the Holy Spirit is not like the Force, whether you like it or not, sadly. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a neutral power. It's not an omnipresent energy that binds all things together. Uh, the, the power of the Spirit cannot be manipulated or harnessed by anyone. So what is it? Well, let's return to our passage. The disciples' confusion in our passage actually helps us understand. Let's look at verses 6 to 7. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, the, the disciples' question betrays an expectation on their part of what sort of power would be coming through the Holy Spirit. They thought it was going to be about governing authority, political rule, and restoring their national identity. Jesus responds and corrects this false assumption. Jesus said to them, verses 7 to 8, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and even to the ends of the earth. Well, Jesus responds and says, Friends, the power of the Spirit is not about political, political authority. It's not about knowing specific times or seasons even of how God will move in the world. That's not really what it's about. It's not fortune telling. The power of the Spirit isn't primarily about receiving direction for our life decisions. Jesus then makes the connection. When you receive the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit will come on you in power, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in the whole region and even then to the ends of the earth and beyond. What does it mean to be Jesus' witness? That's an important question. It means pointing to him and representing him in the world. Really, it means living for the sake of others. To be someone's witness means you must be with them. Certainly, Jesus commended this group to be his witnesses because they rubbed shoulders with him and were a part in person of his life and death and resurrection, yes. But there is more here, too. The power of the Spirit and the disciples' radical life for the sake of others after Jesus has ascended, the two go together. They're linked. Actually, one enables the other. The power of the Spirit enables you and me to live for the sake of others because the power of the Spirit places you and me with Jesus. The power of the Spirit enables us to be in the real presence of Jesus Christ. And it's the presence of Jesus Christ the presence of Jesus Christ, being with him that fills us with power, with strength, with confidence, that enables us to boldly join God in his loving work in the world. Now, how does this work? Well, let's think about presence together for a minute. The first time I taught a class here at St. Peter's years ago, years ago, I was super nervous. I was early in my studies at Regent College, which, started, which starts off, if you've ever done it, making everyone feel incredibly insecure and like they know nothing compared to everyone else. That was my experience, at least. And I was speaking on a topic I'd just taken an introductory class on. I felt like a fool. <laughs> and I was just regurgitating what I had heard a professor say over there. Um, I was terrified, okay, I can get through the notes, but if anyone asks me a question, I'm done. Like, please just don't ask me a question. I can say what's here, but I know no more. Uh, so I started in on this class, very nervous, but a minute or two in, just as, after I started, the door at the back opened up, and my mentor at the time, who had asked me to teach and actually convinced me and forced me to do this, some of you know Roger, uh, he came in, um, and from the back, he gave me a big encouraging smile and a big thumbs up, and I'm like, you got this. And something shifted in me, just from his presence coming into the room. His presence imparted power to me. His presence gave me confidence. His presence in that moment told me, you know what? I can do this. I'm not alone. Think about when you're in the presence of someone who loves you and who believes in you, who really believes in you. Someone who loves you enough to really, really listen. Not for any agenda other than to know you, to seek understanding, to figure you out, to care for you. Power, strength, confidence seeps into you in the presence of these people. It's because presence is powerful. 
The presence of a loved one can bring calm. The presence of a dog can bring companionship, really. The presence of a police officer on a dark night can bring a sense of safety. Just, just feel that. You know that sense. And when we grasp and experience the presence of Jesus, who is God with us, the very God with us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to see that the lives of the great saints we read about, whether it's Paul in the Bible, Peter, or all throughout history, many of, many of whom even died for the sake of others. They had such power we begin to see that their lives actually aren't that different from ours to start off. That it just so happens, anyone, you, when you encounter the presence of Jesus, have everything it takes to live a radically saintly life. There's no difference between them and you. Because the presence of Jesus, which is great power, can release you can release you to be the woman, the man that God has created you to be, that God has destined you to be. Well, this begins to answer our next question. What does it look like to live in the power of the Spirit, to live in this power for the sake of others? And this, we're starting to get at it, but uh, when we live in closeness with Jesus, in one word, what it looks like is freedom. And when I say freedom, and this word can mean lots of things to lots of people. So when I say freedom, I don't mean the false freedom that we often have pitched to us of contemporary culture. That means you have unlimited choice. You have liberty to do whatever feels right in your life. It's not the false freedom that, you, that we say when we think about um, the phrases, create whoever you are, or you do you, I'll do me. The false freedom that's sold to us by an Amazon, uh, Amazon search bar or the Airbnb front page. You know, all those endless options to satisfy craving for real, authentic experience that millions of other people are also craving and clicking on at the same time as us. No, that's not freedom. When I say living in the power of the Spirit brings freedom, I mean something different. The Collect Prayer for Peace in our Anglican prayer book says it beautifully, I think. It teaches us to pray, God, the author of peace, in whose service we find perfect freedom. It's a paradox. In service to Jesus, we find freedom. It's the, it is the paradox of the Christian life, that in giving up our own selves, in loving service to God and to others, the Spirit gives us freedom. Freedom from our fear, freedom from our, our, our sense of self, freedom from our narrow view of the world, freedom, freedom from comparison to others, Freedom from buying the lie that indulgence will bring happiness, that trying everything out there will bring happiness. Freedom from all those things, all those interior chains that we are often, often saddled with, and freedom into something else, into the bold, the unpredictable, the exciting life of the kingdom of God. And that's why the book of Acts, when you read it, it's a page turner. It's so exciting. It's about people encountering the presence of Jesus. And then being freed by the power of the Spirit to join God's love on the move, to join God's work for the sake of others. A, a few touch points in the book. We see in Acts 2 this freedom enabling the church to cultivate a place, to cultivate a place of encounter. We see a community praying, sharing their lives and their food with those who are in need in their gatherings, but also for outsiders, also widows and orphans. 
They also experienced the power of the Spirit in wonders and signs, uh, people being healed, people being delivered from the demonic, and that's happening too. And guess what? Acts 2.47 tells us what happens. The Lord, will be at, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. When we dwell in power, the Spirit works and calls people to himself. And when we as a community live in the power of the Spirit, fueled by Jesus' presence, our places are different. They become different. We treat one another differently. We live sacrificially for one another, and we actually really love one another. And we need this, church. Don't we need this? And the good news is that, again, it's not that far out of reach at all. The power of the Spirit is close to us. Jesus is eager to welcome to us into his presence. And the Spirit is working these things around us in our own community, creating places of encounter. It's the couple in our church who welcomed a fellow community group member just over Christmas to spend the, the Christmas season at their house because the other person didn't have safe family relationships to go home to. So they welcomed her in and said, you're our family, come on in. It's the Spirit empowering the church to live for the sake of others, and the Spirit is working these things around us. Also in Acts, we see the power of the Spirit sparking the early church to invite, to tell their stories, to take that posture, that second P. Take Paul, for example. You know, he has this miraculous encounter with Jesus uh, where he gets knocked off of his horse and goes blind. This is an amazing story. And you know what he does with his story? He keeps telling it over and over. In the book of Acts, that full story is recorded three times. We hear it first in chapter 9, but then as he goes around and plants churches and does ministry, he keeps telling his story every chance he gets. We see it in chapter 22 when he's arrested. He gets to talk to the crowds. He tells a story. Later in chapter 26, he's on trial before King Agrippa. He tells his story again. Paul's preaching and his ministering was powerful. But it was only powerful because the presence of Jesus was working through him and was with him. That's it. Nothing else, nothing else fancy. It's the same power that's available to you and to me today. This power is often a subtle power. Sometimes it's an overwhelming, overwhelming wave crashing down. Sometimes it's miraculous, but often too it's subtle, yet still significant in its own way. And for me, that subtle power is usually a still, quiet confidence that falls on me and frees me to be confident and live open-handed when I don't feel like I have what it takes myself. And sometimes this can lead us into uncomfortable places, sometimes unpredictable places, uh, just like, uh, but, but not with fear, but with confidence, just like when a trusted mentor comes into the room and is near you. When I lived in Cape Town in the fall of 2009, I spent a lot of time in prayer for those on the street who lived near me. And I encountered this subtle power of the Holy Spirit there. I often felt the Spirit prompt me to pray with people on the streets from a place of strength that was new to me at that time of my life. I didn't know where it came from. And I know that can be confusing language. So what I mean when I say the Spirit prompted me is that I would be walking down the street encounter a person, eye contact, they talk to me or, or just have a sense uh, that I ought to go talk to them and pray for them. 
It was as simple as that. And I knew it wasn't for me because I wouldn't naturally want to just do that. It, would make me, it made me uncomfortable. But I could trust it was from the Holy Spirit for two reasons. First, it's the sort of thing from reading the Bible that I would expect the Spirit to prompt me to do. We, we read about these things happening in Scripture all the time. So when I experienced it, well, it's something that the Spirit would do. It's not some other crazy action. And second, although I, it, was, it was nervous, I was nervous at times, I didn't feel alone. I had a sense that I could do it. And it wasn't really about me at all. It was about God working. I felt free. I felt free. And not, not free in the sense of following the path of least resistance to do whatever is easy, which, of course, would have been looking the other way and going on my way. But free instead to take a risk, to try something new knowing that I rested in the safety of the presence of Jesus who was standing right there with me. Well, finally, and the million-dollar question for all of us on this topic, I know, is how do you and I live into, grow into this power, experience this power? How do we become people who live fully alive for the sake of others, willing to take some risks in the power of the Holy Spirit? It's available to us. We've received it. Jesus has told us the Spirit has come in Acts 1. But I know for some of you, you're thinking, well, why don't I encounter it? Why don't I have any of this? Well, let's slow down and connect the dots a little bit. The power of the Spirit brings us into Jesus' presence. And it's his presence that bestows power. When we are operating in this power, we feel freedom. We feel confidence, and we are compelled to join God's work for others. How do we tap into this power? Well, receiving the gift of the presence of Jesus requires something of us. It requires our presence, too. To be present with someone requires giving your presence as well as receiving it. And to give Jesus our presence and our attention, to listen to him, to give him space to listen to us requires us to surrender the most valuable and irrecoverable resource that we have, our time. <laughs> to be filled up by the power of the Spirit means we need to be engaged in the presence of Jesus, giving him our attention. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a quick fix. But when we carve out that time and a time of quiet and stillness and being with God. Our goal when we do that has to be that simple act of encounter with him, of connection. It's not just to get a chapter of the Bible read. That's not our goal. Or to check off a list of intercessory prayers. Or to get through the daily office or even the first page of the daily office. That can't be our goal going in. Or it becomes this, this work that we have to laboriously get through. The goal is to open yourself to the Lord, to let him speak his love into you. Yes, through scripture and yes, through prayers, but to stay in that place at least until you know that you've touched the presence of the holy in some way. Now, sometimes these times with God are going to be, uh, at least for me, uh, amazing and I feel the presence of God and I feel an inner peace and sometimes I don't. And it's, it's an act, just like in my relationship with my wife, it's an act of doing the acts. And sometimes 
We have a deep connection, feel of it, and sometimes it's just the act. We have to know this, and we have to know that it takes habit and practice and constantly returning here, and it's hard work. But giving God our time, day in and day out, and being in his presence will form me and you into a spirit-empowered person who has the reserves and the boldness to really live for the sake of others. In my experience, the quality of the time I give matters too. It's not just that I do it, but the quality of time. And, and, and the most formative time and the most vulnerable time, not just for me, but actually for all humans, for the human brain, is right before we go to bed and right before we wake up. What we engage in these hours actually has significant formative power over us, more than the other hours in our day. So think about that. What is your brain doing in the moments before you fall into sleep at night, the moments right when you come out of sleep in the morning? Is it watching explicit shows on Netflix, scrolling Instagram, checking emails, reading news articles that spark fear and outrage inside of you? Last week, I've had a really busy week the last couple weeks, and I spent several late nights just trying to blast through email, checking through email, trying to get more and more done. And you know what? It left me in, an, in a restless place. I couldn't sleep the whole night after that. And not only that, I woke up still thinking about all those things, already anxious before I even started my day. And then when we wake up in the morning on the flip side, what's the first thing we encounter? Is it checking the feed on our phone? If so, if we do that in those vulnerable moments and those vulnerable hours, our attention is already taken. It's already whisked away somewhere else. And it's, in my experience, it's immensely difficult, actually, for the whole rest of the day to, to switch and to attune to Jesus, to get it back if I jump into that, if I let those pings immediately take me there. It's these bookends of the day that are really vulnerable for us and really important for us to at least in some way submit to Jesus, to at least in some way come to encounter him, to be fueled by his presence. It's really hard if we don't think about those two points in our day critically. So if you're asking, where is this power? I don't experience any of it. I don't have any encounters of the Holy Spirit. If you started thinking sometimes that it's really all a hoax, but you're scared to say it out loud, if you're struggling, if you're just struggling to live for the sake of others, if you say, I believe and I've had those experiences in the past, but not lately, it's just hard and I'm so busy and I don't even, can't even think outside of tomorrow. My main question is, and let's be honest with one another, how much of our, our, of our attention, of our time, do you give to loving and being loved by Jesus? This is the source of the power, nothing else. Trying to defeat strongholds of sin in your life, to live out the Sermon on the Mount, to live for the sake of others without any moments and time of connection with the presence of Jesus is a recipe for failure. You just will fail because you won't have any grounds and connection of God's Spirit to strengthen you. If you're angry, tired, too busy to think about anyone else, and, and, and just thinking all this is too much, first, you're not alone. I know there's other people who are, who are feeling that way too, and I do at times too. You're not alone. But remember also that you're not too far gone at all. To be refreshed, 
to be nourished, to encounter the presence of Jesus that can totally change your whole life. It's not a hoax. And you're not too far gone from those great saints, from the people that you see in your life that you say, God, gosh, I wish my experience following Jesus was like theirs. Or the people we read about in the book of Acts that do these amazing things. There's no difference between us and them, but an encounter with the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So give Jesus your time, your best time. Commit to it for a week even. Just commit to it for a week. Just try it. Find a time to sit and pray and read and and take a deep breath and ask Jesus to minister to you. Read some scripture. Pray. Ask Jesus to fill you. And yes, do it for a week. And before you touch your phone in the morning, especially, do it for a week. Just try it. And come back next Sunday and talk to me. I'd love to know how it goes.